This is episode 59 of the Business Women Rock podcast. Let's do it. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast. So ecstatic that you're here with me today. Truly appreciate it. Got a great show for you. I have Anna Akbari who is here with us. She's going to be sharing her great business journey. And before we get that rolling, we are into Business Women Wednesday, which is our weekly series where we get a chance to highlight the fabulous women who are part of the Business Women Rock community. Today, we are highlighting Sarah Young. And Sarah is the CEO of Rock Your Block, which is a job search platform for young kids. Sarah really thought that, you know, years ago when LinkedIn was coming out and Monster Jobs was getting really big and helping adults connect with the jobs that they were looking for, why not create something like that for kids who are super tech savvy and can utilize these platforms very easily? So she created Rock Your Block. She's also very involved in the entrepreneurial and the technology community in San Francisco. So Sarah, we salute you, girl. Keep up all the great work. If you would like you and your business to be highlighted in the Business Women Wednesday series, all you have to do is go to bizwomenrock.com. So before we get on with the show, there's one thing that I want to share with you. There are so many times in these interviews that I'm often asking the women, like, what was your lowest point or what was like this big fail that you had? And we always get really, really great answers. And so I thought that it would be fair to share with you an epic failure I had yesterday. So we just launched the pilot program of the BWR 30 Day Biz Challenge, which is a really, really cool opportunity for you to come in and say, hey, I'm going to hit this goal by the end of 30 days and let's go for it, right? So I shared with the Business Women Rock community that, you know, this is what it's all about. I'm excited to get you guys there. I'm excited to help you with your goals and um, had a webinar to be able to explain what it was all about. And when I say webinar, it was like a Google Hangout. So um, I hosted it on my site. I gave everyone the link for it, had tested it out a couple of times, and a couple major things happened. A, the entire site crashed because um, obviously my hosting did not do what it was supposed to do. So I had to kind of like, you know, pivot at the last second and be able to give people a direct YouTube link or Google uh, Hangout link, right? So I was trying to do that and I will spare you all the details, but that didn't work. So I had to send out like three different links. So, and then during the actual Google Hangout, um, it just, nothing was working. I mean, like, you know, Murphy's Law, like whatever could go wrong will go wrong. I literally have never had that experience in my life. Like I've always been able to deal with whatever cards were, were handed to me and figure stuff out and still be able to totally rock it. And Wow, like it was in that moment. Have you ever had had that moment where you're like in it and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose it. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I totally had that moment yesterday. So um, I really, I, I learned two major things. Number one, over prepare when it comes to that sort of stuff. Um, really go over it, go over it again, go over it eight times. Um, B, you know, things are going to happen. So there's certain things you cannot control, but as much as you can control, control it. 
And the second major lesson I learned was just how amazing you are because this entire community was so supportive and so forgiving of all the technical issues (laughs) that happened. Um, And we were able to, you know, give everyone what they needed and uh, give them the information about the 30-day biz challenge. So anyway, I wanted to share that with you because um, in that moment of things being really, really low, I I lost it. I mean, I really, really did. I didn't know what to do. I was bawling. I was, you know, yelling in my office. It just, it wasn't a pretty sight. And, you know, that's just what business looks like sometimes. (laughs) So I just wanted to share that with you so that you have a nice visual and know that we are all going through ups and downs every single day like that. So with those lessons in mind, let's get on to the show. Today's guest is Anna Akbari, and Anna is the founder of Sociology of Style. She, on a very basic term, is an image consultant. However, what she does is so much more than that, and it's done in a completely different way. She has a very heavy academic background, studied sociology, and really takes to image and fashion um, through a lens of really understanding how one's image and what they're dressing and what they're wearing and how they're presenting themselves really has an impact on others' perception of you and how they interact with you and what leverage, I guess, you can have with that. So it's very, very fascinating. Her business model is very unique. So turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Anna, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you here. You have the sociology of style. It's like image consulting that is so much more and so different than anything I've ever seen before and a different way that you do it. So I'm really interested in sharing your history and your story with everyone to see how you've built your business. But I want to start at the beginning because so much of what you do now has everything to do with your background history and why you really came to it. So can you start off with a little bit about the time that you spent in academia, what experience you had there, and how that started molding what was to become the sociology of style? Yeah, sure. So I come from a sociology background, as the name would suggest, and part of my research was really digging in and looking at this relationship between self-presentation and a claim to power, as well as this larger notion of identity construction. So how we come to understand who we are, how we come to perceive ourselves, how we come to project a particular image in a conscious or oftentimes unconscious way. And I was doing a lot of field work around this. And and as a byproduct, I, I started to really understand the mechanics of how certain choices that we make have a, a very large ripple effect from a sociological perspective. Incidentally, meanwhile, I was working in different facets of the fashion industry, honestly, to put myself through grad school. (laughs) So I was getting it from both sides, and I never saw that, to be perfectly blunt, as a a viable career path for me. The industry, so to speak, wasn't something that was of interest to me, but, but what was at play as a result of sort of the, the consumer choices that people were making was very fascinating to me. I looked at it through an academic lens and then realized that there was really an opportunity to start working with individuals and then gradually with sort of larger companies as well or groups of employees to help them understand how they're perceived, how the choices they're making is going to affect 
whether they get a raise, how well they're going to negotiate in a particular context. And then if you think of it from a more personal perspective, whether or not they're going to go on a date with someone or if they're going to become friends with an individual, these, these very crucial elements of social, personal, and professional life have a lot to do with the visual choices that we make, whether we want to believe that or not. I think I'd mentioned this before off air with you that I was actually a communication major, both in my undergrad and my graduate degrees. And so part of that was that I think we did like a gender studies class and there was a whole program dedicated on performance. And so it's all about like what you what you wear and how you perform that communicates your gender and kind of how people will, will perceive you. And I just love the angle that you're looking at this from in the sense that it's not just as easy as like, okay, what colors go with my skin? Or is it fall? Am I allowed to wear white jeans? All of that sort of stuff. It's really taking it into account mm-hmm. of kind of what the perception is of you as you walk into a room and what that will or will not allow you to do. It's, it's very empowering once you really see things from that level. That's right. And it really, what looking at it this way does is it strips away this sort of blanket superficiality. And that's not to say there isn't some element of superficiality, but even if that's present, it doesn't, it doesn't render it completely insignificant, right? It's still, it's still socially significant. And so to choose to ignore it because you think it's superficial doesn't actually do anyone any good. That's funny you say that. So, And that's so true because you could sit here and look at it and you're like, well, okay, so everyone's telling me I'm supposed to wear this nice suit if I mm-hmm. want to get that job or if I want someone to take me seriously. And then I'll just raise my hand on this. I have that little bit of rebellion in me going, oh, screw that. I don't want to have to wear that. And I hate colors. and I hate doing all this. But mm-hmm. I think the beauty of it is that kind of going back to the empowerment thing, once you know what gets communicated and what perceptions are really received and not, you can then choose, okay, I'm consciously showing up to this interaction looking like this and kind of showing this particular personality. And I know that that's going to have this effect or that effect. Right. Exactly. And, you know, it's not always an exact translation. One of the number one things that I'll have individuals ask me, say, socially when they find out what I do is, oh, wh- what does this mean right now? What I'm wearing, how I look, what, is, what does this mean? What do these shoes mean? And it's not, and what they don't understand is the nuance of it. It's that, sure, you're wearing those shoes, but you're wearing those shoes in relationship to many other things on your particular body at a particular place and time in, in a larger context. So to reduce it to, oh, those shoes equal you have money or those shoes equal power. It's, it's unfortunately not that simple. And that's, and that's where working with a professional like me actually becomes very valuable for individuals because, look, I'm a big fan of outsourcing and delegating things that are, are not your focus in life. And I think there is no shame in saying, you know, I might have decent taste, but it doesn't mean that I'm hitting all the points all the time the best they can be hit. And so calling on someone else to facilitate that or to sharpen it just a little bit, I think having that self-knowledge of knowing when to bring in a partner to make those kinds of choices and, and to make that much better is, is great. But a lot of people, unfortunately, A, underestimate the role that their personal aesthetic plays in their lives, and, and B, they, they also undervalue it. So they kind of for lack of a better word, they kind of cheap out on it. And what they don't understand is that investing in it in a strategic way, again, not from a fashionista trend 
purpose-driven kind of way, but from a strategic way, will almost always result in a richer life. And I mean that in the fullest sense possible. So now walk us through the company that you started then. Walk us through the sociology of style. Like what what is the entire business model? How are you working mm-hmm. with people? So it's multifaceted. If we look at it just from a services perspective, I work with individuals and sometimes larger companies, I'll differentiate the two momentarily. But when I work with individuals, essentially they come to me, I have them fill out a very thorough questionnaire so I get a really good sense of who they are, what they're sort of very specific literal preferences are, and then also a larger sense of who they are as a person, what they're, what's motivating them, what their personal frustrations are. Because what we're trying to do is align the visual with your personal and professional goals. And oftentimes there's a disconnect. And when there's a disconnect there, then your audience, and that audience, can, we all have multiple audiences that we're appealing to. And so that can be awesome somewhat challenging, but your audience isn't able to reward your choices or your content or your knowledge as robustly as it could if those two were aligned. Because there's a sense of, oh, I don't think we understand each other or they don't seem to be understanding this context appropriately. And that trips you up and then you aren't heard as much or you aren't seen uh, as much and therefore you aren't rewarded. So I help people just understand where that disconnect might be. Then we develop a strategy for aligning those two. And that includes cleaning out your closet, a very down and dirty closet clean out. And I have different systems that I use for going through things that go far beyond merely, oh, I don't like that or, oh, that's not on trend anymore. There's a much deeper, bigger conversation that happens. And my goal in doing that is also to empower the person to be able to have this conversation in their head because I, unfortunately, I cannot always be in their closet with them. So we do a, a closet clean out, which uh, is also called Closet Catharsis, which is the original name of my company. I use that term because there is a very emotional, psychological effect that this sort of cathartic act has on you. And my clients often actually use those exact words. So so it is more than just sort of a, a, a material transition. Um, there really is a very transformative act that happens. So we do a closet clean out, then we strategically shop. And this can happen, both of these can happen either virtually or in person. Increasingly, I work with a larger percentage of my clients virtually, just because I've been fortunate enough to have wider exposure, you know, have inquiries, far beyond the, the New York and San Francisco areas where I am geographically present. So I work with a lot of people virtually. We, we do what I call strategic shopping. And I also put together a personal shopping report that outlines sort of the personal do's and don'ts, some tips and tricks for you, and outlines every category that you need to upgrade on and notes on fit and style and how to pair it. So it goes from the philosophical right down to the granular execution of these instructions and these choices. And then we usually repeat that about six months later um, in our first year working together, you know, to do it for another rotation of a different season. They have access to me a couple of times during the year. And then I do some maintenance with those clients. On a, on a yearly basis, people find that they need to kind of have a check-in, right? It's, it's just a, a tuning. And I can always tell when, when clients sort of lapse and they don't have that, then they feel like they veer off track. Think of it as sort of your your fashion checkup. And so we'll work together, you know, once or twice in a smaller capacity, 
each year thereafter. And then sometimes I work with larger companies where I'll go in and, and give a lecture that's from a more sort of philosophical perspective, but then offer very specific tips that are sort of industry specific. So for instance, I met go into a law firm or a financial services firm and talk about the role that your personal self-presentation and your choices in, in dress, how that, the role that that plays in your professional life. And and it's interesting. I mean, it applies to both men and women. I work, I work, I work with men as well. But I think we always try to think that this is more of a, a, a woman's domain, whereas really men largely understand that this is something they have to pay attention to also. What percentage of your clientele is made up of your individual clients? And then what percentage is made up of corporate clients? Well, it's a little different, right? So a corporate a corporate gig just naturally pays more and takes longer to execute. So so in numbers, I'll do few of the fewer of those, though though they they they're sort of exponentially more profitable than if I were to just work with an individual because an individual caps out at a certain rate, right? Right. Um, I really like doing both. They're both very satisfying and. I love the one-on-one work with the individuals, but it, it's sort of there is a bit of a necessity to also supplement that with larger clients, so that I can afford to keep working with individuals at a reasonable rate. <laughs> well, and it's something that really strikes me when you're explaining your entire business model. It is it is a very very high touch business. I mean, really, what you've created is like a concierge, almost like a counselor type of a, a image concierge yeah. that really not only elicits like, you know, okay, visually, what do you want to look like? But it's like, you're really kind of bringing out the whole person from a psychological perspective on what's important to them and then helping them strategically plan the stuff. So it takes a lot of energy on your part to supply the energy and the resources for every single client, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it does. It does. You get very sort of personally and emotionally involved with the client because as I said, it is such a transformation and and honestly many of my clients are going through either a literal transformation something physical that's changing in their lives a lot of my female clients might be dealing with coming into a different age or an era in their lives they want to visually adjust and, and still be effective or someone might be going through a job transition they could be getting divorced they could be moving to another coast there's so many different things that happen. And it's interesting because those are the times when people are most likely to reach out to me because you think about when you're, when you're going through change and you are, you are ripe for feedback. You are open to it and you, you want to sort of shed this former identity and really consciously step into something else that's going to move you in a different direction. So it's definitely personal transformation and a sort of aesthetic makeover. They go, they go hand in hand quite, quite naturally. But yes, to your, to your earlier point, yes, it is, it is very high touch. And so there's a, from a business perspective, there is a constant battle with demonstrating the value of that to your individual clients who, and rightfully so, have specific budget, but there's always that that line where it has to still be affordable for them while still making sense for you from a, a time perspective. And then thinking about how can you scale that, especially when it is so high touch, how do I pass on that methodology 
to other individuals so that we can scale. And that's something we've been investing a lot of our time in. And we're actually really excited to launch a new Stylist Entrepreneur Academy in the next month as well, where I'll be giving workshops for individuals who are intrigued and interested in my approach and want to pursue a career or even a side career as a stylist, but they want something that's A, a little meatier, a little more thoughtful, and also B, they want to think about it from business perspective because our whole philosophy is that stylists don't fail because they lack knowledge on fashion. They fail because they lack either a, a larger philosophy, a niche area, and almost always business knowledge. And so that, those are the things we're going to try to impart on these individuals who work with us. So what is your financial model? Like, how did you come up with how much you're going to charge clients and what exactly they're paying for? I mean, you're talking about kind of varying budgets, but how did you actually come up with what what the price is for the package of people working with you? Yeah, that has been a constantly evolving process, honestly. Um, I'd like to tell you there was a real scientific methodology to the way we did that. But honestly, it was a matter of starting out the company about five years ago and working in a very small capacity to refine my methodology and to really refine what I wanted to offer my clients and refine my own best practices and working for way under what I should have been at that point. And then having the confidence to say, okay, yes, these are the services I'm offering. This is why it's good. Having those referrals, having those testimonials, and then, and then increasing your rate incrementally from there. And then when you, when you gain wider exposure through different PR or whatever channels, you're tapping into a different market. And so the the market can bear a bigger price at at that point. And that's when you hit that tipping point of, okay, I become priced out of a certain demographic, but that doesn't mean there isn't an opportunity for me to still find a way to have my approach and my company work with them. And that's what we've been looking to, to build out in a more robust way. So let's talk a little bit about how you actually acquire clients. To start this off, let me ask this question first. What kind of marketing do you do? Like, what is the most effective marketing that you participate in? I would say writing for channels where particular target demographics read those articles. We have our blog and that's great and that's a lead generator, but but there are sites and businesses that, and it's either me writing or me contributing from an expert perspective that reach just much bigger audiences than, than our content site does because that's what they do, right? And they have scaled in a very different way. And so when, when I step into to those particular arenas and I offer my voice, we have we, every single time we have an influx of inquiries and we are able to have a different sort of conversation with those individuals. And that's, that's a really, really great way. Yes, we use social media and I think that that's important to have a presence um, or even just to have a place to repost all of these articles that you're either writing or contributing to. But honestly, one of the most significant ways is partnering, whether it's through writing or through expert contributions to other sites, to other outlets, and using their network, which necessarily exponentially multiplies your your reach. That's really, I found, to be the best way, as well as word of mouth, current and past clients, of course. You're out there, people are finding out about you, and then they're coming to your site, 
and there's no I mean there's no like priced packages on your site for the reasons that you just spoke about it's a very customized type of a type of interaction so how like what happens between they go to your site and your they become a client like what happens between there what is some what are some of your actual sales processes in order to actually acquire them as a client so one of the new things that we've implemented which has been just wildly successful for us in just the last month is an image quiz where we allow individuals to take a very short quiz that gives us a sense of who they are and what they're looking to work on. And we send them back a brief but significant and very personal email that offers a little bit of insight into how we view what their challenges are and how they might go about addressing that. And so far, the the response to taking the quiz has been has far exceeded what we thought it would be. And the types of thoughtful responses that we've gotten and then the gratitude that people feel as a result of getting that feedback has been great. And what that does is they already feel like they have a connection with you then. And I don't say that in a way to sound like we're exploiting them. In fact, it's just the opposite. We have. We've taken the time free of charge to look at their story and we've reached out to them. And I think very few companies do that. But what we're selling is a high touch, incredibly intimate personal service. And so you need to have that level of connection. And even if that person isn't ready or financially capable of, of taking the plunge, and let's face it, it's not everyone who takes a free quiz on the internet is in that position, but they then have a very positive impression of your company and what you're offering. And, that person may have a boss or may have a friend who would be interested in it. And that's how you start to build evangelists for for your company. And I think that that's really valuable as well, not just the conversion rate of those particular individuals. Do you have a couple of stories or one example, let's say, of a client who just had where it really like embodies what you do for somebody? Oh, there are, there are there are several. I have worked with, as I mentioned, clients of women of a, a certain age who are looking to, to refresh. I love working with them. I find them so rewarding and I've been fortunate to be able to form very strong connections with a lot of those women. And, you know, one woman comes to mind who is a professional, very educated professional, and she's the director of a department. And she was feeling stuck and kind of invisible. And we worked together and, um, and she was feeling very frumpy. And even though she has a terrific figure, um, but she felt invisible to her husband too. She felt invisible in both her personal and her professional life. And we worked together. And I think there was some level of skepticism on her part and her spouse's part. And, and certainly the financial investment that they were making was something that they did not take lightly. And so, and I don't take that lightly either when I know that it's a big deal for someone. And we were wildly successful and suddenly her husband became the biggest fan (laughs) of my company and it re-energized their marriage and suddenly at work, everyone was noticing her. And I don't mean in a sexual way, I don't mean to cheapen her at all because she's just a brilliantly intelligent, successful person, but just started saying, oh, this person, this person is worth paying attention to. And she felt that. She felt that in the reaction, the way that people were interacting with her. And to me, that is just a wonderful success 
story from someone who had skepticism and wasn't super, you know, wasn't super wealthy, but in a, in a profession that is not necessarily paying a ton, but demands a very high level of, of personal acumen and wanted to feel confident, wanted to feel that people were interested in what she had to say. And this really did uh, transform it for her. So, you know, one of the greatest compliments I get is when my clients then follow up with me and say, oh, let me know how I can, you know, support you. I'd love to, if I can offer a testimonial, anything, because they really are just so grateful for having had the service and had it in a way that's very different than if they went and worked with just what I would say is sort of a, a run-of-the-mill fashionista stylist. Because, again, it's almost like therapy. And you have to have a certain approach and disposition when you work with individuals in this capacity. Well, and that goes right into the next question I was going to ask you, which is, I mean, because you're working with these clients at such an intimate level, yeah. when it comes to image, that doesn't live in a silo. I mean, you, especially no. if you're dealing with women, I mean, sometimes you're you're bringing up like, you know, some body issues, you're bringing up some discomfort with how they're working out or not working out. You're, I mean, whether they like their hair color, if it works for them. I mean, it's really so multifaceted. So my question to you is, is do you ever work with or bring in maybe some other consultants or even counselors or anything like that that can help and mm -hmm. help with that sort of well-rounded transformation? Sure, yeah. So I also I also do life coaching. So as you can as you can see, they're very complimentary for many of my clients. Some of my clients really just want the in and out kind of fashion aspect of it or they or even though they've clearly chosen me because I do take a deeper approach, they're not necessarily ready to to address it from a, a larger scope of life perspective. But I increasingly am working with more of these clients in a life coaching capacity. And I take them through I have a sort of ten point system that I use to fine tune all these different aspects of their lives. I, I call it my life manifesto and it it's the sort of ten ingredients for a happy, well rounded, thriving life. And one of those aspects is upgrading the way and being more conscious of how you visually self present. But obviously there are many other factors that can make that particular choice the, and your investment in it more effective. So so I've started working with clients in that capacity, which has been incredibly rewarding um, and something I really enjoy doing. And then I do work with other consultants, career counselors, or someone that maybe maybe an individual just needs to work on their resume or to fine-tune their LinkedIn profile, right? So those are not areas that I choose to spend my time doing, but I have people that I can refer them to that I think are great. There are other professionals that have other niche areas of expertise that I, that I do regularly refer my clients to. Since you've had your business since 2009, I mean, you've had tremendous growth. You're you're continuing to build out and evolve this business. You take it from a whole different vantage point, which is super cool. But I'm sure it hasn't all been roses all along the way. And I'm sure you've had a couple of hiccups. So can you talk about maybe one or two of your most challenging moments that you've had, like something that just really tested you? Describe what that was like, and then how did you get through it? Well, it's interesting because a few years ago, I was working simultaneously on a tech startup. And it was, well, it started as more of a social media based startup and it pivoted into a social business startup. And 
I was doing both simultaneously, and I was essentially using sociology of style, then closet catharsis, to support me while I was going on this very lengthy journey in the tech startup world, which included fundraising for that company and, you know, building a team and building a prototype and all, all of that, which was amazing experience for me. But, but what I realized while I was doing that is, A, I was, I was not choosing the right partner for me and for the kind of company I wanted to lead. And so there are inherently problems with that. And B, I was moving away from my own core competencies and what I had worked so hard and been recognized as having a very specific and unique niche expertise in. And so trying to move away from that because for some reason I thought that doing something that was higher tech or where I could get millions of dollars of venture money with with somehow proving that I was making it in a bigger way, it really backfired and it and it didn't work. And it didn't work for all the reasons I just explained. And and even if we had taken venture money and we had stayed together and kind of slogged through it, I think longer term I would have been unhappy, which is important to me, not just making money. And so I revamped my company and I decided to expand it beyond just the service offering that I was that I was giving to clients and started rethinking it from a how can I affect the largest number of people even if they are not going to hire me to work with them in on their wardrobe. And that's where we started Sociology of Style, the, the blog with lots of lots of insights into, you know, how do you style your life? How do you how do you operate in this visual world? What kinds of issues do you think about in terms of culture and your body and the way you appear to individuals either in person or virtually. And we really wanted to start conversations about that and and then building on that in the ways that I mentioned, the expanding our services to include lower price points, lower entry points, to be more inclusive of the number of individuals we can help, creating a community. We just created a sociology of style community where both stylists and consumers can offer insights, best practices, and post questions and get feedback from experts and other consumers. We're really proud of that. We just launched that. And now the the Stylist Entrepreneur Academy. So we're really trying to hit a lot of different markets um, while still keeping it very small and intimate and keeping with our core team. So, so that's kind of the, the path that I went on, but I had to have this sort of awakening of, okay, is that veering off in this other direction isn't actually serving me, and there's a lot more that I can do in this other realm. And so I really dug more deeply into that about two years ago. What kind of habits do you have or what things do you participate in that help you constantly like look at your company from a strategic standpoint? Well, this goes back to my earlier point of being a huge advocate for knowing when and what to delegate and when and what to outsource. And I, I think one of the number one hurdles that women business owners in particular run up against, and I, I, I say this as someone who has counseled many women on this particular point, is they try to do everything themselves. And they either don't trust that someone else to do it as well as them, or they become sort of control freaks so they, they, they think that they have to do it if it's going to get done. And there is an element of, of trust involved where you have to say some some quality may diminish or at the very least it might not be done exactly how I would do it, 
but it's impossible to scale. It's impossible to do everything yourself. I see businesses, I see individuals become stifled in, in their ability to grow and expand primarily for that reason. That said, you need to be very conscious about how you choose the people that you're with. I am a big advocate for loyalty and for choosing people that you not only think are good at what they do, but you really respect them as individuals and they're people that you enjoy working with on an everyday basis. So choosing your team wisely, I cannot stress the importance of that because that can be your make or break moment more than anything else. You can sell all the business advice in the world and if you don't choose the right team and you don't partner with the right people, you're doomed. That's a huge thing for me. And just knowing how to manage your time, knowing how to strip away distractions and knowing when you need to sort of go in a cave, as I like to say, and get stuff done and really go into a flow state, that's when you're going to produce great work. You want to work smart and efficiently. And there's a lot of time wasted. <laughs> Be very mindful of that and then carve out opportunities for for you to unwind and to step back and to take interest in another topic or to read a different book or article or, you know, listen to a podcast. I'm a huge fan of podcasts and things that might not necessarily on the surface seem like they are relevant to my business, but they'll get me thinking in a different way. And, and, and you might have heard this before that, you know, the, the greatest innovators don't just think about their product or their industry. They think about all sorts of other elements that are, that might be seemingly tangential at best or completely off in left field at work. And all of those things eventually, if you think in a sort of entrepreneurial kind of puzzle solving way, tend to contribute in even the smallest way to, to what it is that you're building. So I think diversifying what you think about is also really important. And I really want to bring this conversation to a close by asking you, what is your vision? I mean, you're obviously so passionate. You've been doing this for a while. And there, I can see, I mean, you've got all these ideas that are forming, all these sort of new concepts that are coming out. So what's coming out? What's on the horizon? And what's your big vision for your company? Uh, well, one of the things we want to do is have increasingly more kind of, at the start, there'll be junior stylists that will work with us, but that, again, are able to... I, my goal is to be able to accommodate upwards of 75% of the inquiries that, that we're receiving in some capacity, whether that's a, a low monthly fee for just very limited virtual interactions or whether that's having a dedicated virtual stylist that you Skype with or whether that's having me come in and work with you one-on-one. -on -one. We want to create more opportunities so that we can really be of service to a larger number of people. And, and that can take place via a lot of, of, of different touch points. Again, the community that we built, the training system that we're developing, the new quizzes and virtual tactics we're using to capture more information and to, to engage more intimately faster, and also just creating great content that gets people thinking about things that we like to think other, other sites and outlets are not doing with a fresh voice that's both sophisticated and intelligent, as well as practical. We want to hit those touch points that we really want to be able to connect in a more meaningful way with an increasing number of people that reach out to us. I'm also working on a book with another writer on women's relationship between fashion and money. And this is not too much of a tangent, but you know that, that is really at the heart of what makes someone think if they can afford these services or how they're going to invest in their image. And I think, I think there's a lot of guilt around that. Um, and that's something that I want to clear up and 
make sure that women understand the value of investing in themselves in this way and know how to budget it properly. So, so we're in the process of working out on that book and we're hoping to release that soon. Awesome. What's the name of the book? Working title yet. No, no, no <laughs> title. No, no, no title yet. But uh, stay tuned and, you know, follow Sociology Style and, you, I mean, it'll be real, it'll be blasted all over there once you settle on a title. Nice. Very nice. Well, let me know when you have it and that way I'll put it on the show notes for the, for the, uh, for this interview. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. Anna, thank you so much for sharing your story and for getting, you know, kind of deep on, on how your company works. I really appreciate it. I know that they're, there's so many women out there who just want to be able to follow their passion and maybe their passion is in the fashion industry and maybe their passion is in, you know, really getting deep with people. And and I why I love your business and the way that you're doing it is because it's really doing something that can seem very superficial on the outside, not in a good or bad way, just kind of like right. surface, but really taking it and, and putting a lot of depth to it. And you're doing it very, very successfully. So I just really so much want to thank you for sharing what's going on with you. And thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Bizwomenrock.com forward slash 59 is where you will find all the notes for today's conversation with Anna. The biggest takeaway that I got from Anna was when she spoke about one of her roughest moments in business when she was simultaneously working with a tech startup and trying to run her business. And, um, and I really appreciated the fact that she was so honest about saying, hey, at some point I just got really overwhelmed and I wasn't staying uh, true to my core competency of what I really, really loved. So, um, you know, I think so many times we try to do whatever we can and we get involved in a whole rainbow full of different things because they're all interesting to us. But at the end of the day, we always have to ask ourselves, what is my core competency? What am I best at? How is this company making money at its core? And how can I really scale that out and uh, and add value there? So I really, really love that. And I really want to thank you for being here today. Take some action off of a nugget that you got out of this. And let's keep on moving forward together. Have a great day and I'll see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.